0: Good morning, Journey. How are you guys doing today? Good. Before I forget, I might remember to let Kidmo go today. Welcome, you guys. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Stacy. I am the discipleship director here at Journey. I am super excited and incredibly nervous this morning, um, so bear with me today. Um, if you guys don't mind, I would love to start the morning um, just with some prayer. Jesus, so many of us have walked into this room this morning worn. We're tired. And we're just wondering if there's any way that a song can rise again from the ashes. And we're wondering if you can mend a life that has been torn. And we're wondering if redemption really will win. So I pray this morning as I speak, you would allow your presence to just fill the room. Father, that your words would just penetrate my own heart. That I would speak the heart of Jesus. Father, that I would bearing your truth, your love, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness. Father, that myself would be laid aside. Father, I pray for open hearts this morning and that you would really, truly let us leave today knowing that you really are the God who heals. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Had. You may know me, but you may not know my new name. You may have no idea what I've been through because I do my best to look the same. I am scared to death of you. I used to be just like you. I once held up my head high without propping it on my hymnal. I was well-respected back then. I even respected myself. I was whole. Heartedly devoted to God and if the truth were known somewhere deep inside I was sort of the slightest bit proud of myself proud of my devotion but then I'd repent because I knew pride was wrong and I didn't want to be wrong not ever people looked up to me and life looked good up from up there I felt good about who I was. That was before I was had. Strangely, I no longer remember my old name. I just remember I liked it. I liked who I was. I wish I could go back. I wish I'd just wake up. But I fear I am wide awake. I've had a nightmare, and the nightmare was me. Had. If I could really talk to you, and you could really listen, I'd tell you I have no idea how all this happened. Honestly, I was just like you. I didn't plan to be had. I didn't want to be had. One day I hadn't, the next day I had. Oh, I know where I went wrong. I have rewound the nightmare a thousand times stopping at just the point where I departed the trail of good sense. The way ahead didn't look wrong. It just looked different. Strange, he didn't look like the devil in the original scene. But every time I replayed it, he dropped another piece of his masquerade. And when he finally took off his mask, he was laughing at me. Nothing seems funny anymore. I will never laugh again as long as he is laughing. If only I could go back, I would see it this time. I would walk around the trap camouflaged by the brush, and I would not be had. I would be proud. Was that my old name? Proud? I can't even remember who I was anymore. I thought I was good, not proud, but I don't know. Would you believe I never heard the trap shut? Too many voices were shouting in my head, and I just knew I got stuck somewhere unfamiliar. And soon I didn't like the scenery anymore. I wanted to go home. My ankle didn't hurt at first, not until the infection set in. And then I thought I would die. I lay like a whimpering doe while the wolf howled in the darkness. And I got scared. I pulled the brush over me and I hid. And I felt like I couldn't breathe. I had to get out of there. I was sure it would kill me. I didn't belong there. I refused to die there. I pulled and pulled at the... But the foothold wouldn't budge. The blood gushed. I had no way out. I screamed for God. I told him where I was and the shape I was in. And he came for me. The infection is gone. He put something on it and cleansed it instantly. As he inspected my shattered ankle, I kept waiting for him to say, You deserve this, you know. You've been had. Because I did. And I know, and I have. He hasn't said it yet. I don't know whether he will or not. I don't know how much to trust him yet. I've never known him from this side. My leg still hurts. God says it will heal with time. But I fear I will always walk with a limp. You see, I wrestled with the devil And he gave me a new name. Had. The first time I read those words, I was sitting alone in a cafe in Asia. My heart was bleeding, screaming, This is me. Jesus, this is me. And I just was astounded that somebody else could write the words that I was feeling. And even though I knew I wasn't alone, I was still struggling to this battle between blaming Satan and my own role and responsibility and where I had walked and the choices that I had made. But I just couldn't reconcile Satan's role and my own Sometimes life is just rough, isn't it? Sometimes it's somebody coming up and grabbing the brush from our hands, and instead of painting beautiful strokes, they turn it around, and they start stabbing holes in our lives, and they leave us ripped, gaping open. Other times, we're sitting before God saying, I just don't know where we can go from here. We've been talking about God painting the strokes of our lives, and we often can picture God as creator, but we forget that God is truly an artist. Jeremiah in chapter 18 really talks about what it looks like for God to be an artist. He says, This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house. And I saw him working at the will, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hand. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. "O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter. So you are in my hand. Let me show that picture. God reaches into our lives. He's forming us and molding us and shaping us into what he desires is absolutely the best and most beautiful thing that we have ever seen. But sometimes we walk over, we take what God is doing in our lives and we say, I don't want what you're giving me. And we let go. And we lay shattered in millions, if not thousands, hundreds, or even just a few pieces. There we are. And we look down and we see all the shards, and we're like, what do I do from here? How is this going to work? And so we grab the broom. And a dustpan. And we reach in. And we start trying to sweep it all up. Gather the shards. Push it all in there. Got to get every last piece. We have to put ourselves back together again. This is the only way it's going to work. We check and we're like, oh, there's still more of me left over here and here. Just... I just, I gotta, I gotta get it together. Come on, all the pieces. I've gotta have them. I can't leave any of myself behind. It won't work. My life just can't happen if, if I'm not all there. So we gather ourselves and we look, and we're just like, oh my god, this is awful. There's so many pieces, and so we look, and we're like, I can't put this back together again. There's no way I can do this. And so we just take our life We just say, okay, I'm just going to live a life shattered. This was so me shattered. You see, I was at the beginning of what I thought would be a lifelong career serving God overseas. When I moved to Asia, I had every intention of dying in Asia. Sure, I would come back, I would visit the U.S., I would do some work and um, come and visit friends and family, and hopefully friends and family would come visit me. But before long, I found myself entangled In a bad relationship And one night I found myself Sitting On the edge of a 13 story window Looking down Contemplating the fall Contemplating what it would be like If I had just ended my life But fall was just too scary And so I didn't But the downward spiral of my life just continued. I was had. But it was during this time of being had that I began to fall in love with the story of Peter. Most of you know who Peter is. He's the one who walked on water. He's the first disciple that proclaimed Jesus as the Christ. He's the one that was always right in there with Jesus ready to go to battle with him, a close, dear, trusted friend. But it wasn't Peter's successes that I identified with. It was his catastrophic failure. Luke 22 tells us that Jesus even predicted this failure. He says, Simon, Simon, Notice, he's not calling him the name that he gave him. Satan has asked to sift you as a wheat. Satan, the same one who attacked Job, the same one who tempted Jesus in the desert, is now asking to sift Peter. But this word here for ask is entirely too benign. When Satan went before God, he did not ask to sift Peter He was demanding to sift Peter. But not only was he demanding to sift Peter, Satan had requested to sift all of the disciples. No one is out of reach of being sifted. I think it's interesting here that Peter asked to sift, or Satan asked to sift Peter, because sifting is actually the last step in gathering wheat. The first step is harvesting, right? You've got to actually bring it in. And at this time, the way they harvest was that they would take a sickle and walk over and they would rip it, cutting it down piece by piece by piece. And then the next step was the threshing. They would take the wheat and they would beat the wheat in order to try to separate the shaft and the grain. And then only after they had been cut, only after they had been beaten, did they reach sifting. And sifting, they take what's left and they put it in pans, kind of like sieves, and they shake it really hard. They toss it in there and shake it again until only what is edible is left. I don't think Peter was just asking to sift, or Satan was asking just to sift. I think Satan was saying, I am going to walk through this entire process with all of your disciples. And it is not easy. Does that scare you? Terrifies me. And I think later on, Peter describes this experience when he says, Satan is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so there Peter is knowing and understanding this is what is about to come. But then Jesus says, "I have prayed for you, Simon. I have prayed for you." Have you ever just had somebody walk up and tell you they prayed for you? It feels pretty good knowing, especially if it's at a time where you know you need it, and they just spontaneously tell you without knowing what's going on in your life. When I was um, going through everything in Asia, um, it was really, really hard for me to tell people. I was incredibly shamed, and um, took me several months but finally, I decided I needed to tell some, somebody for the first time that was close to me. And so I told my roommate, just shared what had happened. And um, so we, that was in the evening, and we went to bed that night. She usually got up 5 or 6 in the morning, and she had left early that day. And so I was kind of behind her. And as I was getting ready to leave, I opened, I went, I walked to the door and I started to open it. And there was this pink post-it note. And it said, Stacy, I have prayed for you. He has a special love for you. And I just clung to that. I don't believe that special love is just for me. I think Jesus loves each and every one of us uniquely, and he loves us uniquely even when we're shattered and falling apart. So Jesus prays for him that his faith may not fail, and then he promises, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. There is going to be more prayed for you. It will come. Peter has the best response. Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and death. Matthew puts it even better. Not only does Peter say, I'm going to go with you to prison and death. He says, I'm going to go with you to prison and death, even if nobody else will. Even if all the other disciples fall away, I am going to be the one that walks with you. Man, can you imagine the boastfulness and the pride and the arrogance in those statements? You've had 12 men who have walked intimately with Jesus for three years. And Peter's standing there saying, I am better than them all. Because I'm going to be the only one that walks with you. But it doesn't really last long, right? We all know what's coming. We flip over Luke 22, 54. Just hours, okay? Not days, not months, not years, not decades. Hours after Peter has said, I will go to the cross with you. I will die for you. I am not going to leave you. Jesus' prophecy comes true. Says in verse 54, Then seizing seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today you will disown me 3 times and he went outside and wept again Matthew brings us an even more in-depth illustrative picture Peter didn't just deny Christ. That third time that he was accused of knowing him, he began to curse and swear. And so when Jesus turned to look at Peter, that's what Peter was doing, was cursing and swearing. I don't know him. And his betrayal complete, receiving the look, From Jesus, Peter then left Jesus, weeping bitterly. I think it's really crucial here that we see that Peter's denial of Christ is a verbal denial. It's very easy for each of us to look at our lives and compare ourselves to somebody else and say, I'm not like that. But see, even though our denial may not be verbal, and this is why I think it's so important is that we deny Jesus in our actions. We don't have to say we're denying him. Every time we turn to that relationship, every time we turn to that addiction, every time we turn to that thing that makes us feel comfortable and safe, and we don't turn to Jesus Christ, we are denying him. We are showing our mistrust and doubt That he is fully capable of meeting every single need in our lives. And we deny. But don't miss the weeping. I think it's crucial that we see that Peter wept bitterly. In 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10, Paul gives us a picture of what this looks like. It says, Even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow. Brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Jesus' look brings sorrow that brought repentance. Without that sorrow, we cannot find repentance. I'm like, okay, that's good. Jesus has prayed for Peter. And Jesus has said, your faith is not going to fail because I've prayed for you. Strengthen your brothers. I'm like, okay, that can mean a lot of things. You know, what does that mean? Okay, I know I'm still accepted, I guess. I don't know what it really means to, to have that understanding of strengthening my brothers. And for years I lived right there. What does this mean? What does this look like? Where do I go from here? And and it's so interesting that I missed it for so long. I can't imagine Peter living those three days between the cross and the resurrection. Can you imagine him realizing the last thing he knew Jesus heard him say was him cursing and swearing, saying, I don't know you? I can't imagine What that would feel like knowing that was the last thing I said but then what happens Jesus enters the grave dead and is raised three days later alive and the first person at the tomb a woman is greeted by angels and the angels say give this message to the disciples and to Peter Jesus had a special message just for Peter. So the ladies run back and and the message is this. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. This message is a message of love and hope and forgiveness. Jesus is saying, make sure you come, Peter. I want you there. Come to me. And that's exactly what he did. Because when Peter looked at the grave, he knew that the grave brought redemption. Jesus' look brought repentance. The grave brought redemption. And as we're about to see, it is this relationship that is going to bring full, holistic restoration. Let's take a look at John 21. It took me years to to make the connection between Luke 22 and John 21. No idea why. Um, I knew both passages, but never had seen them together in the story of the life of Peter. John 21, 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. "'I'm going out to fish,' Simon Peter told them. And they said, "'We'll go with you.' So they went out, got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, "'Friends, haven't you any fish?' The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore. About a hundred yards away, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said, to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Judah, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to them, said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, "Feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted, but you were when you are old you will stretch out your hands, someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go." Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, "Follow me." At first glance, the story seems a little mundane after everything that has transpired over the last few days, possibly weeks, but probably just over a few days. Jesus had met with the disciples in the upper room and offered the first Lord's Supper. And he had told Peter that he would deny him. Jesus suffered lashings and ridicule. And death on a cross. And then he was raised from the grave. And that's where we find ourselves here. We're like, Jesus is risen. But we're fishing? Jesus is there. And you're eating breakfast? It's Jesus. But this is everyday life. And so at first glance, this looks... So simple. It it just doesn't seem spectacular. But really, it's almost comical when you go back and look at the people who John names. Okay, we've got Peter. What do we know about Peter? He has denied Christ. Thomas, everybody knows Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. Thomas doubted. Jesus doubted that anything good could come from Nazareth. Nathaniel, you might not remember Nathaniel, but Nathaniel's the one, I'm sorry, Thomas doubted that Jesus had re- resurrected. Nathaniel's the one that said, can anything good come from Nazareth? He discounted that Jesus could be who he said he would be. And then John kind of includes himself there in the sons of Zebedee, James and John, the sons of thunder. The two whose mom went to Jesus and said, hey, um, can, uh, can my sons, is it okay if they sit at your right and left hand? Two guys that are desiring power. We've got a denier. We've got a doubter. We've got somebody who has discounted Jesus. And we've got people who are seeking their own desires. And then we have these two others. We don't know who they are. Who knows what they did? What a degradable bunch of dudes. And if there was any doubt in the beginning when Jesus called them to follow him, there is most definitely doubt now. He has every reason to leave them behind. But he doesn't. And they had every reason not to show up at that mountain. You see, it's so much easier. You've been there, right? Your guilt and your shame because you've denied Christ. You've doubted. You've turned your back. So much easier in our sin and shame to stay hidden like Adam and Eve did in the garden. And just sit. But Jesus invited them all to return to him. And they trusted that invitation. And they went. They had no idea what was going to happen. But they were like, he's invited us. He's told us to go to Galilee. And so we're going. And you may look at this story and say, I've heard about this story before, right? Like, Jesus has told somebody to cast their nuts on the other side. And there you will find a catch, even though you fished all night. You're going to just put it in on the other side and pull it out. And we're like, yep, we've heard this story before. You know what the story is? Luke 5. Luke 5, Peter, fishing out in his boat, worked, toiled all night long, and he's absolutely exhausted. And Jesus comes and stands on the shore. Hey, have you caught anything tonight? Peter's like, nope, we don't have anything. It's been, you know, a wasteful night. And Jesus says, toss your net in on the other side. And so Peter tosses his net in on the other side, just like today. He tosses it in. And it's so heavy, it took two boats to pull the catch in. And so when we look at this story and we're like, Jesus, we're we're repeating the same thing. We're doing it again. And Jesus is like, yep. Because remember when I called you the first time? You didn't know me at all. And yet you followed me. And so Jesus is saying, you know what? Now you know me. And the invitation remains. Follow me. Man. That is absolutely beautiful. It doesn't matter that we've taken our lives and been ripped or shattered them on the floor. Jesus' invitation has not changed. Follow me. But I find this next little passage right here so astonishing and absolutely hope filled. I cannot stand to imagine my life without purpose. I I really, really, really want my life to matter. And so when I shattered my own life, when my life fell apart because of what I had done, I just relegated myself to sitting on the sidelines. I was like, there's no way Jesus wants to use me anymore. There's no way he wants to bring me in Sure, he'll say, I'm redeemed, right? That's what the grave is all about, is my redemption. Redemption one. I know I don't have to live that life, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I get to play in the game that I thought I was getting to play in. But Jesus says that's not true. Because if you feel like you're in that place of denial where you feel like you have destroyed your life, take a look at Peter. And that's where we find hope. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? It's an interesting statement, right? More than these? Not do you love me, not just satisfied that Peter might love him. Do you love me more than these? could be he's saying do you love me more than your boat and your fish and the lifestyle that you've left it could be that jesus is saying do you love me more than your family and this band of brothers that you have that you're willing to leave them and follow me could be but you know what i really think jesus is asking here i think he's asking peter peter you love me more than these other guys love me? Because remember, at the denial, when before he was denying Jesus, Peter, I will never leave you if everybody else does. I will not. And so Jesus is saying, still feel that way, Peter? You still think that you love me more than everybody else? And Peter, knowing where he has walked, simply says, Jesus, you know I love you. He, he can't, at this time, bring himself to compare his own life and his own walk to others. He can simply bear his heart before Jesus and say, you know I love you. I can't. In pride, say, I love you more than needs. She said, okay, no problem. I accept that. Feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus is saying, do you love me now? Don't worry about then. Do you love me right now in this part of your life? Jesus isn't asking, Peter, what have you done to make restoration? Have you cried a lot? Have you gone out and done a lot of good things? What have you done to restore yourself to a relationship with with, with me? Jesus is saying, do you love me? And Peter's saying, yes, I do. And his heart is bare. And Jesus is saying, I accept you based on a heart that loves me and not based on what you have done. And then comes the third denial. Peter is hurt. He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And this hurt that he has now wounded Peter with has annihilated all of his pride because Peter hears that third question and he's reminded of the third denial. And so with that, Jesus has tenderly in one of the most amazing ways, demolished that pride. And even though Satan sought the sifting, God's purpose prevailed. Peter stands a man humbled, loved, and forgiven. Satan's sifting was purposed to destroy Peter's faith, but God's purpose prevailed what's really interesting about this dialogue never once not one time does Peter say Jesus do you still love me he doesn't ask him that but most of the time we do right most of the time we mess up our lives are broken and shattered and we're like Jesus do you still love me but Peter never asked and I keep thinking why is it that Peter isn't asking a question that I've asked for years? And then I realize, Peter doesn't have to ask the question because he knows the answer. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us see jesus didn't have to be asked by peter do you still love me because jesus settled it once and for all on the cross he settled his love and peter didn't have to ask but jesus is going to him and saying i know your faith is rattled i know you're not sure just let me know do you love me and peter says yes And Jesus says, that's enough. That's enough. Which brings us to this hope-filled set of three. Three times, Jesus says, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Three times, three denials, three statements of loves, and three statements of restoration. And this is a picture of holistic restoration to serving Christ. It's like, take care, feed, teach my word to other people. And then shepherd them in their following of me. Wow. If there is not a more beautiful picture of restoration, I don't know what it would be. Because in telling Peter to feed his sheep and to take care of his lambs, He is entrusting Peter with his most valuable possessions. We don't do that with people who have hurt us. We don't do that with people who have denied and turned their backs on us. We want to make them prove themselves first. And Jesus is saying, No, I am trusting you with the most treasured thing on earth, my people. Go and serve them. Man, that's beautiful. And if you're like me, you need to hear that. Broken, shattered, destroyed, wondering if we are spending our entire lives sitting on the sidelines from now on. Just hoping that we might get to get in for the last 30 seconds of the game and maybe shoot a free throw or be that one that fouls somebody so that they have to try to th- shoot a free throw. That Jesus is saying, No, I am putting you in the game and you will play every minute of it. Man, that makes me excited. I'm not forgotten, I'm forgiven, and I'm restored. I don't know if we ever got that picture going, um, if it's there. You might remember this picture from a few few slides earlier. Um, about five years ago, my mom and I took a trip to Nepal. And uh, while we were there, we went to this city that in Nepal is pretty much known for its pottery making. This is what they do. And um, And so we were just exploring the town and we were wandering down the alleys. And it wasn't uncommon to turn a corner and just see a room or really an open square full of jars, clay jars drying in the sun. And so we had turned one of the corners and we had seen all these jars just laid out, finished, waiting, waiting to dry and be used. And we looked over to our left and there was a little alleyway. And down the alleyway there was an older gentleman sitting there creating a clay pot working at his will. And we kind of kept on walking and just a few few yards down there was a woman sitting, threshing wheat. And then a few yards further down was the man whose hands you see here shaping this pot. I didn't know that day what an impact this picture would have on the rest of my life. But since then, I've probably looked at this picture hundreds of times, thinking about how my life is like clay in God's hands. He's just reaching in and shaping and molding me, putting pressure in just the right places at just the right times to shape or reshape me into who he desires me to be. Man, it's a beautiful picture. Now, last week, when I was thinking about talking to you guys today, I realized the story is not just this picture the story is about a potter creating a pot and a woman sifting and as i stood staring at the man creating this pot my focus on him the woman sifting behind me jesus spoke to my heart and he said stacy That season of sifting is behind you. Look forward. Focus on what I am doing in your life right now. Let me reshape your future. That is what God is all about. Jesus is about restoring broken lives. Whether we're broken and ripped with gaping wounds because somebody else has just destroyed the work that God was doing in our lives, or whether we're shattered because we succumbed to Satan's masterful manipulation or we deceived ourselves, Jesus is the, in the business of restoring broken lives. Maybe this is where you are today. Maybe you're the ripped canvas because somebody has taken a knife to your life. Maybe you're more like me, shattered in a million pieces because you deceived yourself. I don't know that the struggles will ever completely go away, but I know for me that healing has come. It has been a hard-fought battle for my heart and my mind, but it has come. And because I've seen the healing take place, I cling to the fact, to the truth that God promises that he will carry to completion the good work that he has started in me. And maybe you're there right now with me. You're trying to figure out where you are, asking if you can still trust Jesus or maybe saying, I know I can trust him, but I don't know where to go from here. There are two things that I can adamantly say you must do to be able to walk forward with your focus on Jesus. And the first is Cling to the word. Without this, there is nothing in life. This is your lifeline. You have to have what God is speaking into your life. Even if it's difficult for you to open it, carry it with you. Put it in your bag. Put it in your purse. Have it in your car. Know that Jesus is with you wherever you go. And then... Even when it's difficult, when you're not sure you can sit under the condemnation that you feel you're sitting under, open it and read. Because when you do, this is what you're going to hear. Isaiah 118. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be red. Like wool. Psalm 103 The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever, for he does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east to the west. So far he has removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I know... My transgression and my sin is always before you. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. And then down in verse 13, it says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Possibly one of my favorites, Micah 7. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath. Until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness. Jude 24. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, And forevermore, amen. It's done. It's finished. And we are restored. Today, Jesus is calling each of us to meet him on that mountain. And he's saying, I have a special love for you. Stop looking back. Look forward to what I'm doing in your life. Those pieces that are laying shattered on the floor, I can mend that. I can put you back together. You might not look the same. Your life might not be what you thought it would be. But that brokenness that Christ brings us to That brokenness is often how Jesus' light best shines through us. Will you walk with him through that healing? Secondly, I'm going to challenge you with this. If you are sitting there, And you found yourself broken and you know that you need to cling to the word. Find somebody that you can trust to walk this journey with you. There have been people in my life that I know for a fact, if they had not been there, if they had not been on the other end of that phone when I called and said, I'm struggling, I need your prayers. If they hadn't been there and said, why don't you come spend the night at my house tonight? Because I'm worried about you if those people had not been there to stop the bleeding that was still seeping through the scars, without that and the word, we we just can't make it. So I'm going to challenge you. Find someone. Me, Mark, Scott, somebody that you know you can trust. Go and find them. Because the healing will come. It will be a hard fought battle. But Jesus' relationship with us brings redemption and restoration. Hold on to that truth and look forward to what God is doing in your life. Jesus, we stand broken and shattered. our lives redeemed, ready to be mended and restored. And so I ask today that you start that process in each and every one of us, that you don't allow us to leave the building today without clinging to your word and knowing that you have settled the matter Though our sins are like scarlet, you have made us as white as snow.